Hey guys, welcome to the 480 Soccer Show, where we're still in quarantine and still trying to find ways to talk about football when there's zero live football being played. Today we're going to talk about season two of the Netflix original series, Sunderland Till I Die. <laughs> that was a sick opening. <laughs> yeah, like the um, 15th time doing this. Yeah, for real. Um, Sunderland Till I Die is a documentary series on Netflix in the second season now following Sunderland AFC, the football club whose, uh, whose fate has been rather ill over the past three or four years. And, um, it kind of takes you on this emotional journey where you get to connect with fans. Um, you get to see the ins and outs of how the club works with new ownership, uh, new management coming in, uh, tons of new players as well. Uh, and you get to strap in and go along the, uh, pretty sad journey that they went on last season. So if you wanted to talk a little bit about your thoughts on, on how this season was for you, Ryan. Uh, I would say, it was, I wouldn't actually say it was that sad of a season for the most part. It wasn't anything like when they were relegated from the championship where it was just constant uh, failure after failure. Um, Cause they performed all right throughout the season. I mean, they got to the playoffs um, but they just had some really, really tough heartbreaks. Uh, they yeah. two trips to Wembley, where they lose in really heartbreaking fashion. Both both matches, losing on penalties to Portsmouth, and then losing in like a 96th minute own goal yeah. to send Charlton to the championship, where Sunderland has to stay for another season in uh, what seems like purgatory in League One to them. Yeah. Yeah, I thought um, overall. I actually just finished the season today. Overall, it was it was really enjoyable to watch. Um, the way that they follow the same fans as season one was really cool to see, and you you feel for them as the season goes on, and especially us following football so closely and knowing what happens at the end of this season. Um, you know that all of these. Uh, feelings of admiration for their team and and the way that they're kind of g'd up for every single game that they're going to, especially to go to Wembley twice. Um, I mean, they they genuinely thought that they were going to win the cup competition and uh, gain promotion into the championship on either yeah. trip to Wembley. Uh, which yeah. and and what they do is that they pretty much invite us into their own home yeah. throughout the course of the season, and we we see their true feelings throughout the season it's it, it it was all depression last season in the first season like it was just they they didn't want to believe that they were going to go to league one but deep down inside they probably accepted it yeah. especially as the last course of the season uh unfolded um but then you see throughout this season they they truly believe that they're going to go up yeah and they're going to go back to the championship and see where they can go from there under this new ownership who Stuart Donald, the new, mm. the new chairman, new owner, he really uh, he chose he chose Sunderland because one he wanted to own a football club. Uh, he wanted because I know he owned ten percent of Oxford United, yep. and he's from Oxford. I know he did he was real estate uh, business, um, but he really bought into Sunderland. Like he he immersed he, he went into the fan zones of of their stadium of light many times he would constantly be at pubs in Sunderland like he's 
becoming one of their own, essentially, which is something that Sunderland hasn't had. I forget who their previous owner was, but he was barely ever in Sunderland to begin with. I know he he lived in London, and he usually stayed in London. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he really... He was, as, he was as if he was a Sunderland fan from boyhood. It's essentially yeah. what uh, he wanted basically to become, essentially. Uh, and that's what Sunderland needed. And even if they didn't go up, which they didn't, they're outside of the playoffs right now as we stand where we actually don't even know what's going to happen with the regular season. Right. They're in seventh. They're not in the champion or playoff spot to go into the championship yet. Um, but he is still beloved uh in a way over in Sunderland unlike their previous ownership yeah let's stick to Stuart Donald for a little bit because for me he was the standout inclusion in this season um to see him come in and embrace kind of the way of life that Sunderland is and and has was really cool to see and he totally jumped right into the thick things like you said when he first came in and I think it's the first episode when you see um the fans telling him that all the seats in the stadium are pink. They were originally red seats and had been beaten by the sun um, and washed out, the colored washed out of them, and they were pink all over the stadium. And the first thing that he did as as owner of Sunderland was replace all the seats, brand new seats, and he had season ticket holders come in um, and give a hand in removing those seats. And in return, there were players there taking seats out as well, and the season ticket holders got their seats signed and they were able to take them home as memorabilia, uh, which I thought was, was incredible. Um, furthermore, you could just see the emotion that he puts into what he does. Every single episode that he was involved in, it was, I mean, he was fighting this business and emotional battle within himself, right? He knew that some of the decisions that he made, such as uh, when they signed Will Grigg, uh, financially weren't the right decisions to make, but the emotion got the best of him. And, and when we speak of that, I mean, the amount of attempts that they made to secure Will Grigg just shows you that he was acting solely off of emotion at that point. Um, they desperately needed a striker. They they lost Josh Maggio, yeah, and they just desperately needed a goal scorer. And so, yeah, he felt as if like he needed to get Will Grigg. Yeah. Uh, and also with Stuart Donald, I think, was it the last episode where he was in the fan section? He was all black, wearing all black with his kids there and just losing it. Absolutely going bonkers, man. That was uh, some of the rawest kind of emotion that you can yeah. get, especially from someone who is looked at or said to be in the position that he is. It's, it should be a formal, you know, suit and tie. You sit on the on the halfway line on the second tier with all the nice amenities and stuff. He, he was, he looked like he traveled there with the fans. Yeah. And, he was in the away end with, that was at the Portsmouth game and yeah. the, the championship uh, playoff uh, semifinal. Yeah. Just, just incredible stuff from him. I would assume people really care for him at Sunderland still um, because the stuff that he did, in this season and the amount of emotion and, and hard work that he put into that football club um, from what we saw was uh, priceless to me. They didn't gain promotion and they had a lot of heartbreak throughout the season, but with all of the different turmoil surrounding players and managers, uh, I think he was definitely the shining star in all of that. And for it to be the owner, um, 
gives shed some positivity to to the future. So I thought that that was really cool. Um, and yeah, you you had talked about how they desperately needed a striker, and so to put you guys kind of into perspective of what happened a couple episodes into this season, um, Stuart Donald is sat with who, who is he sat with? Uh, Neil Fox. One more time. Neil Fox. Neil Fox. He's, yeah. He, he's one of the direct directors on the board with, uh, uh, Stuart Donald and Charlie Methman. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so the two of them are sat in a room, um, on deadline day trying to secure a deal for Will Grigg. Amongst with hours remaining. Yeah, hours, hours remaining. Um, with one thing and one thing only, and it was an immense need for, I wouldn't say just one, but multiple forwards to come to Sunderland. Um, was, they wanted two strikers, but they couldn't get two. They, only, they could only get one. And clubs knew they were desperate for a striker. Yeah. So Wigan played their hand by basically saying uh, – we will we will reject all offers until you give us an offer that we cannot refuse, and that's essentially what happened. With just minutes remaining, they they yeah. secured the deal for Wilgrig. I believe it was three million straight up, and then that could have risen to four, which was a League One uh, record for record yeah. signing. Which, and then he really didn't play that well. Wilgrig was really not on fire no. for, for Sunderland. I believe he only scored four goals in 18 appearances in in that yep. one half season. Yep. Uh, and this which, is off the back of him scoring, it was like 17 or 18 goals in the championship and moving himself down to League One. And he, he actually was not performing that well in the championship. It was League One the year before where he scored okay. 19 goals okay. in 43 appearances. Um, he scored 26 in 53 all appearances. The, the year before, but he was just not playing really well in the championship um, while, while when Wigan moved up. So then he went back to basically where his home, where he had scored many goals for, for Wigan and for MK Dons as well. I believe he scored, scored 20 goals for MK Dons in 2014-15, scored 25 for Wigan in his first season there. And that's when the Will Griggs on fire defense is terrified yeah. uh, chance uh, started really taking place. And then he was awful in the championship the next year, only scored five goals on 33 appearances. And then they go back to league one scoring 19 goals with 43 appearances. So he's clearly a league one striker. Yeah. So we clearly know why Stuart Donald wants to buy him because yeah. he believes he's guaranteed goals. That's essentially what he should be. Um, yeah. He, he, he only scored 14 goals or scored four goals in 18 appearances. And even, after all this, through this season alone, do you want to guess how many goals he has? He has 20 appearances. One. That is correct. He only has uh, one goal in 20 appearances. And he has three goals in 27 appearances in all competitions. The only reason so, I knew the answer to that was because I was looking him up uh, while I was watching the show today. So it wasn't just a good guess. It was just that I knew the answer already. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um, let's backtrack a second though. Talk about how Sunderland got in this position. They overpaid for a striker that potentially could have shown that he wasn't overpaid for, um, but ended up falling flat. Um, what happened? How did they get there? So what happened was that 
they had a goal scorer who was scoring at the rates that Will Grigg used to in League One, and his name was Josh Maja. Uh, he was, I believe he was in their academy. He graduated. Uh, he I believe he was 20 or 19 years old at the time of all this was being filmed. And he went on to, I believe he had 15 goals and 24 appearances for them. And he was clearly one of the best strikers in the league, if not the best striker in the league at the time uh, when he was at Sunderland. Uh, so what happens is that he was out of contract following in the following year. And he was like, I, he left it to his agent to get him a move. He, he was very, very open about that in the... Uh, in the in the documentary where he was just basically I just talked to my agent. Yeah, just, just talked to my agent. I remember uh, that scene. He wanted to, yeah, he wanted to worry about playing while he wanted to leave it into his agent's hands about his future. Um, but I believe he later s- stated that he was happy with, with the move that he got because he went to Bordeaux, which were a league league uh, team in France, one of the more established clubs in France. Uh, and he really hasn't hit the ground running over there, but he has made his full international international debut for Nigeria, uh, coming on in a late, like the dying minutes of a game uh, for Nigeria, where he came on for uh, Victor Osimhen, uh, who's who's now the uh, big Nigerian star in Liga right now. So he, he's done a little bit since his move to Bordeaux, and he scored a hat trick. I know um, earlier this season before it was. Uh, suspended and stuff like that so but definitely fully hasn't announced himself on the scene Um, but he's young and i think the show painted him to be like he was kind of covering him covering himself up like he knew what was going on the entire time and rightly so he probably did but i felt like he was done a little bit a little bit hard uh, on the show specifically because he's a younger kid he was really performing well and if you're playing in in league one and then you have a Liga team a, a top level team in france come in not a lot of people are going to say no to that and so i don't really blame him and so i i thought that he was I, done a little bit harshly i don't blame him at all he owes nothing to sunderland because no. he he's not even a sunderland boy they picked him up from the fulham academy right. who picked him up from crystal palace um so he was born in uh lewisham over in london so okay. he's not a sunderland boy at all he owes nothing to them yeah. Um, so I, yeah, when he left, I fully expected him to leave. Well, I knew he left, but I mean, he, he owed them nothing. And just, just the scenes that followed after he left with Stuart Donald trying to work yeah, out yeah. who they're going to sign and what's going to happen. Yeah. Like I always, I always find that the most fascinating thing. Anytime you get an inside look on clubs during deadline day and the amount of like high stress, uh, Things that happen. We saw it with the with Leeds United when they tried uh, getting um, Daniel James from Swansea, yep. Yep. and then it ended up not happening. Yep. And now he's at United, and I'm sure uh, Leeds are not very happy about that even right now. Probably not. Um, although they're fine, but still, yeah, it, you can just the turmoil that happens inside the camps. It, it's it's really fascinating to see, and I'm glad we got to see it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, some other honorable mentions from this season: Luke O'Neill, nine. Luke O'Neill, nine. Luke O'Neill, nine. Yeah, 
he, yeah, he, he's just like an average player, but yeah. he was featured probably the most uh, when it came to like interviews. He, he's really good on camera. Like mm-hmm. I fully expect him to see more of him in like an, like a pundit role when he's older. He's really personable. He's always smiling. Uh, so I was really impressed. Uh, he t- took well to Sunderland, like really, really well. Like the fans really love him. He loves being there. He, you could always see him talking to little kids. They they yeah. really featured that a lot. Uh, and so yeah, he he really opened himself up yeah. uh, to the cameras essentially. So I fully expect to, to see more of him in the future on camera. Yeah, and he seemed like a really hard worker when whenever they showed him on the training ground or in game and he was he had a rough start to the season he was subbed off uh on his debut for the team at the beginning of the season and didn't play very well and then waited his turn and they had maybe a 30 40 second bit of him talking about what it feels like to see Josh Magis starting off on fire and then for him who he had dreams of scoring a brace in his opening game for Sunderland and, and stuff like that and and that not happening and kind of the mental psyche that you get into when stuff like that is going on. Um, and I, what I really, the first thing when we were first introduced to Luke and I, uh, he talks about how he he's really happy to be at Sunderland because he believes that Sunderland is a big club. Yeah. He, like he doesn't view it as a League One club. He views it as a Premier League club like what they used to be. And the, one of the first things he says that he's are training with players like Brian Oviedo who just came back from the World Cup at that point from Costa Rica. And then he was also training with Aiden McGeady, who is way too good for League One. And who's he's now in the championship again. He's Ironically, he went to Charleston. Um, but yeah, he's just very happy to be playing with these players who should not be in League One. And he just came from uh, Wickham, who won League Two. And so he's just really happy to be at Sunderland. Yeah. And he can't. He looked really positive throughout the whole entire season, and I'm sure Sunderland fans enjoy him even more yeah. now after watching this. One thing I wanted to bring up with him um, in in the playoff final, I believe it was, he had a head injury. Oh yeah, and he was taken yeah. off. But they showed the clip of him having this injury. And he even said it himself. He's like, I hit the ground and I just remember uh, having wobbly legs. And then they showed the clip of him and he stumbled over. Well, he ended up coming off the pitch, getting his head dressed because he was bleeding and he finished out the game. Um, I was, I didn't watch this game live. So I I didn't see what really happened. But the way that they portrayed it, I I was laying back in my chair. And when I saw him come back on, I sat up like what What? yeah he was just wobbly and you just let him come back on yeah i was really confused it could have been a five ten minute ordeal who knows but from what they made it look like uh, i was kind of sat there questioning like what what happened and then they didn't follow up on it again so there was a i wouldn't say cliffhanger but there was a little bit of question as to what had happened in that moment because they only touched base on it for maybe 30, 40 yeah, seconds on that episode. He was, yeah, and then he was one of the – he was the player when uh, Charlton crossed the ball to begin the play where that they end up scoring the own goal. He's mm. the one who gets skinned uh, at the at the 
cross. Like he's yeah. the one who lets the cross happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was weird. I, I was surprised that they let him back on with the way that they portrayed it. Yeah. So was I. Um, let's talk a little bit about where Sunderland are at right now. Seventh in the league, where we stand uh, only a couple points off of, off of uh, at least a playoff spot in league one. Um, they've had a couple notable um, outgoings player wise um, and management wise. One of which that I wanted to talk about was management, which was Charlie Maffin. What a character he was on this show. Yeah. Uh, the executive director, he was a part owner coming in with Stuart Donald. So before we go into the players, let's talk a little bit about him because he was the uh, kind of the bad guy figure, I think, in that, at least at least for me. And some of the little clips of him, uh, I think he had the right intentions or he may have been rubbed the wrong way and acted out a little bit. But some of the other ones, I mean, he was just blatantly, just seemed like a jackass. Just complete jackass. Yeah. One of the marketing women that he had, where he basically had her fetch him a beer. Mm. Um, yeah, and then he got the beer. And then ha- at halftime at the game, what they were at, what that this was on Boxing Day, day after Christmas. Uh, and he kind of went off on her even though she was the middleman of who charlie was trying to talk to and she basically she took the brunt of charlie's message yeah and yeah i so i i understood everything like i understood that he had the best of intentions and that he he was taking over at the beginning that they said that they were losing 30 to 40 million dollars or pounds every year which is not sustainable like the club was gonna go out and possibly into extinction like what happened to barry or uh bolton um although bolton got out of it but barry's no longer in the efl anymore um and that could have happened to sunderland if the takeover did not happen um so obviously he's gonna be a a bit of a hard ass when it comes to things like this because he wants to turn them around financially yeah. Uh, but sometimes he just did not come off as a fair person. No, I get that. And to give you guys an idea of what happened during that halftime <clears throat> argument. So Charlie was talking to uh, one of the ladies that work with the club and they were trying to break the record for attendance at a match uh, for a league one game, which I believe was 42,000 was the 38,000. Okay, they wanted okay. to hit. They wanted to hit forty two thousand, right? Yeah. Okay, and Charlie had to go on and make a halftime announcement to the fans with final numbers. So they were waiting to receive final numbers back, and the dialogue that he had with this marketing lady who was calling the sales team to see what the final numbers were um, was that this girl was saying. Like, I'll call and see if we get the numbers. And he was getting a little bit upset by them. So what you were saying, Ryan, I kind of understand, but I'm a little bit on the opposite side for this specific one with Charlie because I heard just at the very end that marketing lady said to him, if we get them, we get them. Kind of like saying, if we get the final numbers before you make this 
announcement to all the fans here, good. If we don't, oh well. Um, which is something that he had been trying throughout the season, kind of a cultural problem that he had been trying to address yeah. the entire time. So then he snapped right there and he's like, no, it, it isn't. It is what it is. Like, this is a big deal kind of thing. Long story short, they ended up smashing the record. It was like 46,000 that they had hit. Uh, anyway, it wasn't even close. No. So congrats to them on that. But then some of the other ones, like her, him making her go fetch a beer was uh, just a jackass. And, and the ones that rubbed me the wrong way the entire time was every halftime and every post game. That was bit shit. Then one it like, no one wants – they know. You lost in a final. You lost in a playoff final to gain promotion. Yeah, it does feel a bit shit. And arguably, some of the performances that Sunderland put in, they kind of got shafted. And so it comes – Throughout the season, they had three red cards that were overturned by the EFL. Yeah. The red card that happened uh, against uh, – Portsmouth in the uh, leg one of the playoffs. Yep. Uh, it was an awful call. Yep. Awful call. It, it wasn't even close to being, I mean, it was last man, but the player was not even running towards goal. He was running towards the corner flag. Uh, it was, it was bad. Yeah. And they just got shafted. And so I, I got annoyed the entire time that he was like, well, that was a bit shit then, wasn't it? Like, yeah. It, it was, and everybody feels that way, so stop being a dickhead about it. And then that last scene that he was in where he got handed, it looked like a drink of whiskey or something, and then he like looked up into the sun, golden hour pose, smiled a bit, and then the season ended after that. It was just like, yeah, I thought he was there for the right reasons, and I'm sure that he's just a hard-ass businessman who knows what he's doing in – in a broken business. I get that, but just an he asshole. Also, at first. I, he was also an investor as well. I believe he has either mm-hmm. six or 10% investment in the club. So I mean, I definitely do understand Yes, yeah. it's his money too, that the club that he, that, that the club has been shit for the past couple of years yeah. and he wants to turn them around and turn the, the stadium of light into a fortress essentially that's what his main goal is uh and yeah he 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 did come off as a prick many times um and cringe too like when they were talking about the the new music during uh the first episode oh yeah that was super cringe that's been like yeah you could just tell the marketing people were like this is this is a little bit awkward (laughs) yeah um and then the pundits, yeah. like every game, they had shown the pundits complaining about the walkout music like two or three <laughs> times over the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Good. Just, just not favorable character for me. Um, also, Jack Ross, I had some questions for you about uh, the manager of Sunderland or the manager at the time of this recording. Mm-hmm. Um. I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on him as a manager and the way that he handled himself through the season that we got to see in season two. Um, in my eyes, he seemed like he knew what he was doing and he didn't have the resources, but I want to know your thoughts. I agree with that. I agree with basically what you're saying. Um, although he, so he came from 
St. Marin in Scotland, where he was, I th- he was either a manager of the year or a young manager of the year. Okay. Uh, and so he then came over to Sunderland and I believe a question was asked on his first press conference was like, did Stuart Donald have to sell you on Sunderland? And he basically talked up the club saying that obviously he would rather them not be in the league one. Um, but Sunderland is a club that many people are aware of. They're a big club at the end of the day. And this is a challenge that he wanted to come to. Um, so he said a lot of the right things throughout the uh, throughout the season, uh, and he, he looks like a manager. Everything like that. He 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 looks like your average manager, uh, yeah. but a lot of his tactics, uh, according to I, I went on Reddit a lot and I looked at a lot of Sunderland fans and what they had to say throughout the year. They didn't like his defensive shape. Uh, they defensively they were poor throughout the season. Uh, you could see as well a lot of the goals that they would concede and the, the goals that they would show on the documentary where a lot of it was just really, really bad defensive organization. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And then Charlie Methvin would talk about that a lot where he would basically say that it's the manager's, uh, it's his responsibility to get that fixed and it's not, it's not working. And so he was basically alluding the whole entire time to, yeah, he's probably not going to return at the end of the yeah. year. And honestly, um, I don't blame them for letting him go. Yeah. I feel like it was a must for them to go up. And if anything, and if they didn't go up, then I think he'd probably be out of the job. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He, I think he did a decent job. He's a decent manager. I'm sure he'll find a gig somewhere else. But uh, Yeah, he's mm-hmm. back in Scotland. Okay, so but what was on the line was kind of all or nothing for him, and you understand that too. Which I don't think there's any anything wrong with Sunderland um, sacking him and bringing in someone else for the current season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I don't know. It's hard because it feels like that that entire season he got caught up in the typical, you know, slightly underperformed or didn't hit targets kind of thing. So no real special allowances for him, right? It didn't work out. And so they're going to bring in someone new to give it another shot. Yeah, they have uh, Phil Parkinson now. He came from Bolton and he, he was the manager who won or no, who finished second in the 2013 league cup with Bradford um, when they lost to Swansea. So he's now in the job at Sunderland. Got you. And honestly, he'll probably be gone uh, if they don't even make the playoffs. Yeah, let's talk about that then, kind of current times, and then wrap up. But they're in seventh place, like I said earlier. Um, I I know they're only a couple points off of playoff spot, but they've played more games than everyone else, and should the season continue, things don't – they're not in an incredible position right now. It's still pretty up in the air of whether or not they can get back into the championship, which after watching two seasons of this show and devoting – a few hours of my life to Sunderland, which I never thought I would do. Um, I kind of hope they do get back into the championship just so we can see the fans that they follow every single season um, have a win. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Watching the first season or going into watching the very first season, I, I would usually take the piss out of Sunderland. Um, Yep. I have, uh, I have some friends whose father are a Sunderland fan 
And um, yeah, I would send some memes to them from time name to time. Drop. Name drop. Name drop. Uh, uh, Hannah and Nadia Lalani. Uh, their dad is a Sunderland fan. Shout out. Uh, yeah, it's been really, really tough for him lately. Uh, he's had three years in a row of misery, uh, and it could be a fourth. It probably will be a fourth, especially considering that we don't have any football going on right now. So, no. um, so yeah, um, yeah, Sunderland are still in a rough spot, um, especially considering they're not in a playoff position right now. And... They're going to be in a rough spot until they get back into the championship, which is where, at the very minimum, yeah. they should be. At the yeah. very minimum. And honestly, that's probably where they should be in the grand schemes of things because when they were in the Premier League, they always looking to go down. Yeah. Like they, yeah. They were always destined to go down. And when it finally happened, it was more like, oh, well, it finally happened. I think if they get into the championship or when they get back into the championship – as much as everybody around the club will say they want to get back to the Premier League and stuff like that, I think target number one will be to keep themselves in the championship. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that should definitely definitely be their target, obviously. Yeah. Especially because they've, they've been humbled, essentially, by totally. going to League One and spending potentially a third season in League One, which, oh, man. That would oh. suck. Yeah, they can only is, they can only do it for so long. They only have the resources available to them to to live in League One, a club of that size, for so long before things get worse. And they're walking the line right now. So yeah, I'm interested really to see where it goes. Yeah, I hope they get back to the championship. I really do because yeah. that's where they belong at the end of the day. Um, and yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's rough. To just the whole entire like just the season just seeing the fans just be optimistic about them going up going back up just the optimism yeah. throughout the whole entire season and then just to see it taken away from them at the, at the last minute basically and just seeing the looks on their faces the tears and one quote settled this perfectly by saying i believe it was one of the women who said why does nothing good happen to us mm. um well, as she was crying and hugging her husband and that that stuck with me and yeah. it probably will stick with me until they go up um and it, it's just really sad it, yeah. it really is and i don't think they're doing a season three i i don't oh, really? think they're filming right now so, um, this is probably it for now with Sunderland till I die. Um, we are obviously getting Tottenham's all or nothing uh, presented by that. Amazon. And, uh, I will not share the same sympathy as I do with, uh, yeah, yeah. As I do with the Sunderland fans and then the Leeds fans that we, that we got from the Leeds documentary last year, um, which that was fantastic in itself. Season one. Episode one, Tottenham, all or nothing, Champions League final, Madrid, the very first scene, Divock Origi, bottom right-hand corner, pass Lloris, run to the corner flag, celebrate with the fans. And Liverpool then, have won it a sixth time. And then you see Harry Kane crying 
<laughs> I don't Pochettino feel bad at all. <laughs> and then you'll see Jordan Henderson lift the title while son, while Tottenham fans or Tottenham players look on. If Aiden McGeady started crying in this series, I'd be so I'd be so shook. I'd be so sad. The Harry Kane crying I, in the Amazon series, I I'm gonna be <laughs> laughing at it. Man. I I actually don't feel bad for Aiden McGeady because he technically got his promotion because he he went. <laughs> That's <him>. fucked. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He still went so, through yeah, it. Okay, he got promoted. <laughs> so yeah, he 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 was fine. He'll be fine, but. Yeah, Lee Catamull left the team who was there forever. He was like a longest tenured player. He's now in the Eredivisie of all leagues because um, I don't think anybody in England wanted to give him another chance because he was shockingly bad. Um, wow. Yeah, he's in the Eredivisie. Uh, and uh, who he's else? He's like left? 70 years old too. Yeah, he is, he's actually. Do you actually want to guess what his age is? Uh. He's probably got to be like, he's got to be 30, 32, 31 or 32. Man, I thought you were going to say 36. Yeah, he's 32. Yeah. Look, that, look, on, your face, you're like, look on your face, you're, you're looking like, man, he's got to be like 37. No, he's 32. <laughs> that, that's yeah, old. Yeah. To, go to, a, to go to a top flight league somewhere else in Europe, that's old. Well, he plays for a team who are not very good. And they're yeah. Divisible. yeah, they're they finished twelfth last year, and right now they're. I don't even like. This is a team who I don't even know how to even say their name. So, Sick. and when I can't say their name, well, it's Venlo, but they have three V's at the beginning of their name, so I don't know how you say that. Like, are you supposed to just say Venlo, or is maybe it, you just turn Venlo? Maybe you turn two of the V's into a W. Then just make it like a Venlo. Who knows? He plays. Anyways, for, he plays I, for Venlo. <laughs> if if you haven't uh, if you haven't watched Sunderland Till I Die, I highly recommend you watch both seasons. They're both out on Netflix right now. If you're into football at all, yeah, they're watch, really good watch, watches. It's very easy to watch in one sitting, and then watch Tiger King if you haven't done oh, that yet, dude. Oh my you god! You can watch two. You can you get to learn about cats in two different ways you get to you get to watch the black cats in sunderland and then you get to watch the tiger king yeah i saw what you did there carol baskin that bitch killed her husband (laughs) she killed her husband dude allegedly 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 no she allegedly she did allegedly 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 Um, but yeah she totally killed him also real quick just just a couple minutes before we wrap up um just some updates on kind of what's happening in the world of football current days amongst the COVID-19 pandemic and stuff. There is no soccer going on except for Belarus. There's absolutely nothing happening. And I have seen a couple leagues uh, concluding their season and awarding teams the title. I believe it was, who is it? Scottish Premiership? I think Celtic are being recognized as champions. And was it the Belgian league as well? That I saw. I didn't see Belgium, but I did see UEFA threaten uh, Belgium and the Netherlands by saying you must finish your leagues if you want your teams in the Champions League. So uh, right here, yep. Belgium cancels soccer season. Club Bruges crown champions two days ago. That's pretty cool. 
So that's going on. Um, and then just an update on the Premier League. I saw that there was a board meeting Thursday or Friday. Um, obviously, same old stuff. That they're, they're putting forth a ton of resources towards um, helping fight back against COVID-19 and, and all that, which is great to see. Um, but obviously, again, it just seems like the timeline keeps keeps getting pushed back further and further. Last time we had spoken about this a couple weeks ago, it looked like there was a potential to see something come back, maybe end of May. Um, now it's like firm set in stone, probably no football coming back in May, um, which means we're at least eight weeks out from anything. Um, if you do want to watch soccer, though, you can watch the Bel- Belarusian Premier League uh, today if you woke up for that. Bate Borisov beat uh, Rube Brest 1-0. Uh, wow. Let's see here. What else happened? Slavia Mozir beat Dinamo Brest 2-1. And then today uh, there was Neman and Shakhtyor drew 0-0 in a uh, really boring tie. Um, I hope you understand the full power of the statement that I'm about to make. Oh, I, I would rather watch MLS. I mean, well, yeah, the Belarusian Premier League is awful. That's what I'm saying. I mean, but so is the MLS. I, I mean, it's not as bad as the Belarusian Premier League. Can you even tell me where Belarus is? Uh, that's going to wrap it up for today, everybody. <laughs> um, thanks for thanks for listening. Do, See do you want to guess where Belarus is? Yeah, isn't Belarus like a European nation? Correct. It's in and Eastern gonna, Europe. Okay, and I'm going to guess Europe. it's connected to like a a Czech or Czech Republic or like Slovakia or something like that. Uh, Ukraine, Poland. I'm kind. I mean, I've been I'll pretty spot on tonight. You know yeah. I'll, give it, I'll give it to you. I'll give it bitch, to you. Bitch, bitch, bitch. Anyways. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. That's going to wrap it up for the podcast today. Um, maybe we found our next topic though, because you think that MLS isn't, isn't that bad. So, uh, well, I mean, well, yeah, it's not as bad as the Belarusian premier league. I mean, I it's still, I mean, it's mate, have some faith in your freaking top division. No, you you worked at an MLS club. I did, and you and you worked, or you you worked at a USL Championship team as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, have some faith in your country. Listen, Phoenix Rising games; those are fun as shit. Dollar Beer Night, you can't beat it. RSL uh, games, yeah, except for the you know, mm. except for the one where we got, uh, th- you know, stopped early because Anthony Dito. <laughs> Man. <laughs> did you hear about this yes yeah yeah, yeah, I was yeah. There. jake yeah. was telling us yeah where uh yeah he threw you know bottles onto the that's iconic yeah, so, yeah. and then you got the game canceled off called off from there i'll tell you what though i i did enjoy a little bit working at rsl but of any any soccer game that i've ever been to going to a game in utah is the most kosher family oriented like PG game 
you've ever seen in your entire life. There, there is a level of I mean, profane emotion that's supposed to happen in a, in a in a game. I mean, yeah, you're in Utah, so I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's just super yeah. kosher. It's like, ugh. anyways, I would go. I would. I would spend any amount of money to go to a game right now, though. So I would. I want to possibly go to Belarus, but there's COVID nineteen, and I'm kind of not yeah. wanting to go near large gatherings. But I would totally go to a game in Belarus. Cheap I would tickets. Totally go see Bate Borisov play. Cheap tickets. I'm sure they are. Yeah. They beat Bayern Munich like seven years ago. Oh no, I'm saying flight tickets are cheap. Oh yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. Do you want to take? Do you want to guess who the only team? to beat Bayern Munich in their 2012-13 Champions League run it was? Are you just trying to get me to get a guess wrong? Because I've been spot on every single time tonight. Uh, I don't know. Bate Borisov. Oh, yeah, you just said it. You're an asshole. Yeah. You're, you're, just, you're just really dumb. Yeah, Bate Borisov. Uh, that will wrap it up today, guys. Uh, I'm going to leave it there because Bailey's speechless. Thank you for listening to the 4 Soccer Show while we reviewed Sunderland Till I Die Season 2. Uh, we should be back shortly with another episode of the 4 Soccer Show. But signing off, my name is Ryan. That was Bailey. Uh, you guys have a good rest of your night. It is my birthday. Uh, so go celebrate uh, my birthday. Yeah. Uh, you guys have a good one. Thank you. <laughs>